Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we preview the Commonwealth Bank Women's Ashes Test Match with Lisa Stalaker, play, play it or leave it, and bowl an over of questions to Matthew Renshaw, who reveals an unusual favourite tea time snack. Now, this podcast was recorded on Monday, November 6, with a couple of matches in Round 2 of the JLT Shepherd Shield yet to finish. So head to cricket.com.au for all the latest scores and highlights. Check out some of the deliveries from Queenslander Michael Nisa in Tasmania, Jake Lehman's terrific match at the MCG, and Mitchell Stark's hat-trick for New South Wales. Don't forget, you can watch every ball of the JLT Shepherd Shield live and free on cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Now let's get stuck into previewing the Women's Ashes Day-Night Test with Lisa. Former Australian captain Lisa Stalaker is back. Lisa, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm, I'm so excited. Not long to go now. I know you have been waiting, counting down the days, the hours. I've got my little advent calendar, Ashes advent calendar. Yeah. And as we record this podcast, Lisa, there's only three sleeps left uh, from the first ever day-night Ashes test, which will take place at North Sydney Oval from Thursday, November 9th. Now, if you're in Sydney, come along to the match. It's only $10 for adults, $5 for concession, and free for children. I'm going to be there, and so will you, Lisa, because you're commentating on the live and free stream available on cricket.com.au and the CA Live Pass. So to use a baseball analogy, all your bases are covered. They are indeed, and and also ABC Grandstand will also be taking the game as well all around Australia and BBC Test Match Special, so uh, we've got everyone covered. Before we look to the future, let's take a squiz at the past and what went down from Friday to Saturday in Canberra and Blacktown over the weekend where Australia and England played a three-day match under lights to prepare for that first test, the first and only test. Down in the nation's capital, Australia drew with an ACT Invitational 11 while in Sydney's West, the English drew their match against a Cricket Australia 11. Lisa, uh, for the Aussies, it was Beth Mooney who scored at chances 118 at Marnock Roval. Elise Filani made 70. Elise Perry made 58, while Megan Schutt, Talia McGrath playing for ACT, and Perry uh, were among the wickets. So looking at the scores and obviously watching all the extended highlights of cricket.com.au, Lisa, uh, what was your take on what went down in Canberra? Well, I think it was a vital clash for the Australian women's side to play. Firstly, pink ball, uh, day, night, three days, and their bodies would certainly not be used to something like that. Uh, so it was good to see a number of players step up. Obviously, Beth Mooney sat out all of the three ODIs and talk about taking your opportunities. She certainly did, and you could almost count her in the, the Australian test lineup because of that 100. Um, and, and I think the most pleasing thing was that at some point players stepped up. I think Matthew Mott and Rachel Haynes would be disappointed that players didn't go on. 
Uh, I think Matthew Mott said uh, he was disappointed that Elise Villani didn't kick on and score 100 and she kind of threw it away. So you don't get many opportunities in this longer format. So players actually have to grind it out a little bit longer than what they're, they're used to in order to bring up new triple figures or take a, a bag of wickets. Before we move on to some of those individual performances, what is it like playing a test match and the grind of getting out the next day and playing four days consecutively. You're a veteran of many test matches. I think you won a couple of player of the match awards, Lisa, so you could know all about it. Yeah, it's it's different. Um, physically, mentally, it really does drain you. And that's, and that's why players love playing test cricket because it is the hardest format. The fact that you have to stop, have lunch, then potentially go out and bat or field again and then have tea and then sleep the night and then get up again. And, you know, I think Rachel Haynes and I were talking about the fact um, that we've both been in the 90s the night before and then got up the next day and both got out in the 90s as well. So we had a bit of a chuckle. But, uh, you know, those those are things that you never experience in any other format for us. And, and the fact in, in women's cricket, the white ball is the dominant one. That's why this is so special. And that's why I think all players will be hoping and fingers crossed and be doing everything they can to put their, their hand up for the opportunity to be picked into the 11. Absolutely. So the scores down in Canberra, uh, Australia, they won a toss. I'm not sure how, how legitimate it was, but they did bat first and uh, they made 272 for eight declared. Uh, Mooney with that 118. Perry and uh, Haley Jensen took five for 26. Uh, in reply, the ACT... Got a lead, 7 for 290 declared. Angela Reeks with 103 and Marazan capped the South African import. She made 61. Australia then batted a little bit better in the second inning. 9 for 297 declared. Uh, Avalani, as you said, with 70. Alex Blackwell, 45. And Tali McGrath taking three wickets in and over. And eventually it was a draw. 3 for 68. They said, say, off 41 overs. So the bowling was very tight by the Australians on the third day. What does it all mean, Lisa? That's where we want to get to the bottom line here. What does it all mean, uh, especially that final 11? How much do we take into the fact of the of that, that 11 that was named for Australia with Kristen Beams, 12th player, uh, and on the other side, Jess Jonathan, Tali McGrath, and Belinda Vakariwa? How about the performances of someone like McGrath playing against the Australians? And what about the selectors? They've seen what's happened in, uh, in Blacktown. Is there any chance they might draft someone in bit of a surprise for the English I don't think they'll draft anyone in I think they're happy with the players that they saw down in Manuka by showing us their batting order they kind of played their hand of where they think players will will kind of slot in no surprise that Elisa Healy drops down to a more conventional wicketkeeper batter position in test cricket uh, interesting that they had Alex Blackwell at number three I don't think that's too far off her place where she needs to be. Uh, she's opened the batting once before in Test cricket and she's come down the order as well. So she can bat in in a number of different positions. What I am concerned about is Rachel Haynes. At the moment, they have her as six. I don't think she's a number six. I think she's a, a three or four. The only issue, if she does go into three and Bolton and Mooney open, is you've got three left-handers right on the at the top. Is that an issue? Would we be arguing if it was three right-handers? But for some reason, we always question if it's three left-handers or maybe we need to change it. That's a very good point. What about Elise Perry's position? She batted at four in the first things there, made 58. But I think you've said before that you're worried about her workload, not only as a batter, but as a bowler. Yeah, I am. It's 
I think what's been really impressive about her so far in this series, her bowling has gone up a level. Um, I've been really impressed with how she's shaping the ball. Elisa Healy told us um, through the Channel 9 mic up that she's hitting the gloves hard as well, which she hasn't necessarily done for the last couple of years. And she's going to be really crucial for that Australian side because she's going to add that power. Megan Schutt goes about her business so quietly, so indiscreetly that all of a sudden you see that she's picked up three, four wickets. But it's Perry that's going to come in when Rachel Haynes needs her to pick up a wicket. And, and if she's bowling well, she'll bowl for periods, long periods of time. So I think they need to be conscious, not only physically, I think she's very, she's very fit, you know, having played a lot of cricket with her, I know she's one of the fittest out there, but I think mentally is going to be the key. You know, like I said, this is something that players don't really experience. Falani made seven in the second inning. She was batting at three, batting at five in the first innings. Where's her spot? I mean, her role has just gone up and down the, the batting order in the last test match two years ago. She was opening alongside Nicole Bolton. Now she's found herself in the middle order in the one days, middle order in that first innings. Could she be possibly go up to the order and first drop if they want to put that right-hander there or do they like it down the bottom uh, in the middle order so if there's a foundation set, she can really explode? I think the best for her is when there's a foundation set. We may see some changes in the second innings uh, given how the first innings might play out. We even saw Relisa Healy open the batting in the second innings against ACT 11. So... They've got the flexibility given what happens in the first innings, potentially what might happen with rain or reduced overs, reduced days of play. Um, but I like the fact that she comes in at that five and six position. I think that's a really important position for her. So in my mind, uh, I think Bolton, Mooney, I'd prefer to see Haynes at three, Blackwell at four, Perry at five, Villani at six, Healy at seven. So they're my top seven. You heard it here first. That's a uh, unplayable podcast exclusive. What about the bowlers, Elisa? And I think that's probably where the biggest dilemma for the Australian selectors lies. You've got Perry and Schutt. They're absolute locks. They'll definitely play. Wellington has been picked ahead of Kristen Beams continuously throughout this whole series, and it looks like she'll more than likely play uh, as a big leg spinner. You know, one that can turn the ball, get lots of revs. And Lauren Cheadle, the left armer, she swung the new pink ball and she's that point of difference. England don't have a left armer, Australia do. And in a game where you need to take 20 wickets, any kind of advantage you have, I would think that, you know, she would definitely become in the reckonings, which means there's probably only that one spot that how they determine who comes in after Healy at that number eight spot. And it's really that all-rounder. And I guess it depends on, do they go with Ash Gardner, the X-Factor, who bowls off-spin? Um, bit of an unknown, bit of a live wire, can take the game away from her, as we saw in that first one day. Do they go Jess Jonathan, who in the last Test match made 99? Uh, she's got Test match experience and bowls left-arm orthodox spin, which will spin away from all those right-handers in the England lineup. Or do they go with someone like Tully McGrath, who's a tall right-hander, and if the seam bowling conditions are there, maybe they go that way. Lisa, what's your read? You've given us the top seven. May as well go one more. Give us the eighth. <clears throat> yeah, I knew you'd be waiting for me to give you this. I, I think it's going to depend on the wicket. And obviously the Australian team come up from uh, Canberra today. And uh, I think they're training tomorrow and, and Wednesday as well. So they'll have a close look at the wicket and then have a look at conditions as well and see how it's going to play out. So... I think if there's more grass and green and it's going to be a more um, seam-friendly wicket, I think they they might go with Talia McGrath because I think she's already shown in the one-day format that she's effective and if the ball's swinging around and nipping around, she's going to be quite difficult to handle. 
if it's not and, – and sorry, and if she does play, they've still got like a Nicole Bolton who can bowl your little offies if you want or, or something like that. So you've got your big leg spinner in Wellington and then potentially uh, Bolton to tie up another end. If there's not a lot of green or not a lot of grass on the wicket, then I think they'll go with uh, Ash Gardner. Um, I think the fact that Amanda Wellington takes the ball away from the right-hander, they want someone who takes the ball in. Jess Jonathan hasn't performed as well as, as she would like and, and everyone else that knows her o- over the three ODIs. And it's really hard because the last test match she scored a 99. So people yeah. will be going, well, why would you drop someone who just scored a, a you know, nearly scored a test match 100? And it's like, well, that was two years ago. In England. In England. Yeah. So it's a long time ago, the last test. So it's very hard to kind of base it on last performances in this fa- format. So I think I think they're the two options, McGrath or, or Gardner. But if Jess Jonathan comes in, I mean, I'm not complaining. I think the three options that they have are, are certainly capable of doing it. But... I would see that they would move more to the, the, the first two I mentioned. That's probably why Australia will keep their cards very close to their chests, considering that there's a lot of wet weather around in Sydney. In fact, on my way to record this podcast, is an almighty biblical downpour, uh, Lisa, but my hearing on the pitch is that they prepared it early because they were expecting this rain to come. So maybe there's a bit of sunshine. Uh, if they do get some clear skies in the lead up to Thursday's opening day, maybe that pitch will be dry, so maybe a spinner will come into it. Lots I mean, of questions. It, yeah, it's it's hard thing because uh, even when we played up at Coffs Harbour the second day or the second game that was played, the pitch didn't show any wear or tear on it and there was already 100 overs in it. So the female players do not break up the wicket and the pitch as much as the guys do. So, you know, you're not going to have Amanda Wellington with those foot marks, but she will have the left-hander of Cheadle to help with a number of things. So will if Ash Gardner plays as well which we've seen Mitch Stark and Nathan Lyon work very well together in that sense. So, um, yeah, I think all will all will be revealed once they have a, a bit more of a look at the, the pitch. Now, I spoke to mm-hmm. Leah Poulton, who was the Cricket Australia 11 coach against England on the weekend. And in that game, a lot of wickets to spin and a lot of LBW and bowls decision. Now, the, the wick was a little bit up and down, but she also said that the pitch got better as the match went on. Do you think maybe reading into that game, do you think, Spin might be more effective than an extra uh, pace ball. I guess it comes back to the pitch again, doesn't it? But England, they lost a lot of wickets to spin. Is that maybe something that the Australians can look into? Well, having played at Blacktown International Sports Park, it is a very dry and crumbly wicket. Mm. Um, and I heard the same things that within the first day it was already breaking up. So the fact that it got better is a good thing. Um, otherwise, I think we certainly would have seen a result. Uh, so it's, it's hard not to take away, oh, hang on, England can't play spin, so let's uh, let's get all our spinners in. I don't think that's the case. I think that was purely because of, of that pitch. Um, but what I did take out of that game was that, and also the Australian game, is both teams struggled to pick up 20 wickets. Yeah. And you need to, to pick up 20 wickets in order to to get the win in the test series, in the test match. So that's where teams will need to look of, of what are their tactics? How are they going to, when the players are set and the ball's not moving around and the, the pitch is flat, how are you going to find ways of picking up wickets? And that's where I think both teams need to look at, well, what's who's their X factor? Who's someone a little bit different? Who's someone they don't expect? All right, well, I think speaking to... 
Lisa Villani from the days down in Canberra. That big partnership between Reeks and Cap really uh, thwarted the Australians. And Villani said that if they had their time again, they would probably go and try and dry up the runs, create a bit of scoreboard pressure. They certainly did that in the second innings. And speaking to Poulton, she was saying that bowling stump to stump on a wicket that was a little bit up and down was their tactics. The old adage, you know, they miss, you hit. So perhaps that's sort of one tactic we can expect to see uh, at North Sydney. Yeah, well, Lisa, what else would you do? If you were in the captain's position there, you had the blazer on, the, the C next to your name, what would, what would be some of the tactics you would use when the ball does get a little bit soft and the swing is no longer there? Yeah, I think uh, something that we tried over in England in 2000 and... Nine, I'm going to say, um, was that uh, we had at the time Lauren Ebsery playing and she bowled around the wicket and we targeted, you know, the rib cage area of a number of the English players with, you know, um, a backward square leg or a gully kind of fielder. Sounds like body line, Lisa. Well, it's not necessarily body line, but we <laughs> leg did... Leg theory. <clears throat> but we did manage to... Um, I think pick up Jenny Gunn with a glove down the keeper's side. So you, you're going to have to be a little bit more inventive. And I guess this is this is where um, have the have all of the players have been watching a lot of Test cricket to see what the guys have done when mm. things are kind of at a stalemate. Um, they've got to be able to adapt and change. And you've got more time to do it. You haven't got you know an over or two balls when it comes to T20 cricket, but you certainly have got time. And patience is going to be the real key for both sides. Have they got the patience to bowl good line and length again and again and again and again to potentially put enough pressure on them to make a change to get out? Or are you going to falter and try and look for that that wicket-taking delivery? And then on the flip side, from a batting perspective, you're going to have to face some maidens. Um, but at some point, you're going to have to score runs as well. So uh, patience of both sides is going to be fascinating to watch. That's the key, isn't it? That's the big mindset. In one day in limit overs cricket, bowlers just have to contain... You know, none for 20 is as good as two for 50. Uh, and batters, they might only get 60 balls to bat, whereas in a test match, they could have to face 300 deliveries. How, did, how hard is that adjustment, Lisa? Because, like you said, they're going to have to come up with some strategies. Normally, they can just put five on the boundary and just concede singles. You can't do that. You've got to take wickets in a test match. Yeah, it, it is hard. And, and you've got to almost be... You've got to have a plan of attack of how you're going to... If your bowling's set up, a batter and, and what you need to do to do so and how long you think it's going to take and be realistic about it as well. And after each over, kind of give yourself a, a tick of, have I done that right? right? That's all I need to focus on, not try and think too far ahead of, well, we still haven't got a wicket and, you know, we've been out here for two hours. Well, at some point, both teams are going to have to go through that. So, um, it, yeah, it's going to be very testing for them because if, you know, apart from this... Um, this warm-up matches that both teams went through. The last time they did this was in the Test match two years ago and I think, especially from the Australian perspective, there are going to be a number of players potentially making their debut. Absolutely. Now, let's just quickly touch on the scores in Blackton. England made 231. Again, uh, they won the toss and batted there. Winfield, 82 there. And in the second innings, they made 305 with Sarah Taylor making 85. Not out. And Fran Wilson, 45. And they drew with the C11, who made 271. Naomi Stalinberg with 114. Catherine Brunt, 4 for 37. And in uh, the fourth innings, they made 7 for 182. Nicola Carey with 52 there. Talking about the bowling attacks and needing to take 20 wickets, we said a lot in the, in the lead up to the one day series that the key for England is going to be Brunt and Shrubs with a new ball. 
looking at this, Lisa, do you think it's the same in the in the pink ball four day format? Yeah, I, I am concerned for England that uh, Brunton Shrubsole hasn't picked up a lot of wickets here in Australia. Good to see that Brunt picked up a forfer in the first innings against CA11. Bowl very well from all reports. And as she should be. She should be bowling and leading that attack really well. Uh, so the real test will be can they bring their A game and, and those two make some early inroads into the Australian top order because if they don't, then it's certainly a concern because I don't think they've got the firepower within their bowling attack apart from those two to really trouble many of the Australians on p- potentially could be a flat wicket by the time they get the ball in hand. Yeah, interesting their spin attack too with Sophie Eggleston bowling a lot of overs. Danny uh, Hazel didn't bowl much. She bowled seven overs in the fourth innings, I think. And, and Alex Hartley, the one day spinner, she didn't uh, bowl a ball in the match. I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe an injury, who knows. But uh, interesting they've gone with young Eccleston there as their primary spinner. Yeah, I think based on what we've seen, Eccleston is taller. She'll get more bounce out of the wicket. She bowls that more traditional left arm orthodox coming over the ball, gets that drop and turn. So she gets really good shape. I think Alex Hartley is a very good one-day bowler, whereas I think Sophie Eccleston is more your longer format bowler. So not surprised to see that she bowled more overs, and uh, but very surprised to see that Alex Hartley didn't bowl a ball. So uh, potentially she might have an injury. Uh, otherwise, I'm concerned why they wouldn't give her an over or two. Um, the other option you know, is for an England perspective is that Laura Marsh comes in, has the experience of playing the longer format, uh, right arm off spin, a little bit quicker, um, turns the ball sharply if it's a, a turning wicket uh, So and also has bowled a lot here in Australian conditions, was part of the Sydney Sixers, the first WBBL um, and played for the Breakers as well that year. So has a good understanding of these grounds. So she might come in uh, in replace of Alex Hartley. The positive for England out of that game was Sarah Taylor getting some runs. The explosive, dynamic Sarah Taylor. Uh, she batted down the order, batting at six in both innings. Lisa, is that a little bit low for someone of Sarah Taylor's ability? And if, if England are going to come out on top and keep this series alive, you're going to think that she's going to have to be right and thick of it. You sh- well, I know that she doesn't like batting up the top. Uh, so I think she'd prefer to be down the order. I think six is probably a little bit too low. I'd like to see her at five, um, ideally four. But, um, I mean, she's got to think also potentially that she could be batting with the tail a lot of the time. So she doesn't want to leave herself short. I think that England would be happy that uh, Winfield scored some runs uh, and then also that Sarah Taylor. But my concerns are that the captain, Heather Knight, hasn't really found form yet. Um, Tammy Beaumont, who was a player of the tournament in the Women's World Cup over in England, still hasn't really hit her straps. Uh, and Nat Siver, who for some reason does not like Australian conditions, is again struggling over here. So um, their batting seems a little bit brittle in that sense. Uh, but I think they're the type of team, and they've shown in the past, that they're quite happy to kind of look for the draw and, and bat it out. So they, we may not see a lot of attacking shots from them. But they can't leave. They, they've, got to, they've got to go for the win, don't they? They're currently two points behind Australia. If they lose this game, Ashes done. It's over. Australia will retain it on eight points. They win it. They don't have to win one more game, That one of those T20s. A draw would need Australia only needing one win. So you've got to think. If, if, if they're known for playing defensive, attritional cricket, they're going to have to change their ways. And looking at that batting order, 
They've got Catherine Brunt batting at number seven. Bit of an Adam Gilchrist type pinch hitter down there. So who knows? Maybe we'll see a bit of a change of the guard there. I hope so. I hope for the for the fans that are going to head to North Sydney Oval and those that are going to watch through the live stream uh, that it is going to be entertaining. And, I, and I'd like to see the pink ball do a little bit in twilight because I think that's when it's going to be of interest. I mean, I still remember the first pink ball test at Adelaide and everyone was glued to the TV during that twilight period just to see what the ball would do and it was amazing and uh, even though the game finished so early, it was actually a really exciting game of cricket because, in a sense, um, bat v ball was evened out even though there were periods of time that the bat dominated and then the ball dominated. But over the course of, the, I think, the three days, it evened itself out. So let's hope that we see um, something very similar here at North Sydney Oval. Now, Lisa, you're not one for predictions. Hmm. However, you have given us basically the entire Australian team today, which is very thankful for we won't ask you who's going to win the game but how do you see it playing out yeah it's, that's a tough one I think um it's hard to say given the amount of rain that we've seen and we're expecting over the next couple of days anyway um you would think or you'd like to think that teams will win the toss and bat first but with the amount of moisture around maybe teams go let's put them in let's put the pressure right on them straight away so I wouldn't be surprised to see teams do that and if a, a team gets up in the first innings, I'd like to think that they're going to put the foot on the throat and try to continue. I don't want to really see it kind of pander out. As in my prediction of who's going to win. I didn't ask you that. That's out of your own back. Oh, okay. But you can feel free to give it. I think at the moment Australia have the edge, just. And is that because of the, the batting line, the bowling? Where, the, where's I the... think uh, I think their batters are a little bit more stable and and are contributing a little bit more than England, and I think our bowlers at the moment have obviously based and I'm basing this on the ODI cricket, which is obviously where England were the world champions. I think they've come out and picked up regular wickets and bowled in better areas than England. They've been two sides of the wicket, which has made it really difficult for them to kind of put any pressure on. So uh, unless Brunt and Shrubsole at the top change things and everyone else can feed off them, I think England will really struggle to pick up 20 wickets. It's interesting that if you win the toss and bat for, and bowl first and you get the team out, then all of a sudden you're faced with facing the pink ball at night and that's probably the hardest time to bat. Well, they say it's more, the, the guys keep telling us it's more around the twilight period. Yep. So once the lights come on fully and the sun goes down, that's an okay period. Um, but yeah, you, any time in a test match, regardless whether it's night time or twilight time, you never want to face 10 or 15 overs before the end, end of play. I remember, you know, you'd always hope that uh, the bowlers would take their time picking up that last wicket. <laughs> Is that when you go down and... Retie your shoes yeah, and call yeah. for a drink. And you slow it. You absolutely slow everything down. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Lisa, thank you. We're going to come back and play play it or leave it. Are you ready for that? Okay, let's bring it on. Now it's time for play it or leave it. Play it or leave it time, Lisa. You know the rules of the game. I'm going yep. to throw a scenario. I'm going to bowl, maybe I'll bowl you a scenario and okay, you're going to let you. me know if you're going to play it or leave it. First one. This is all around the women's test match. One or more centuries. We didn't see any in the 2015 match. We got very close, 99, as close as you can get. But will we see one or more centuries at North Sydney Oval? I'm going to play that You're going to play through it? the covers off Open the front up. foot. Okay. Strong. Uh, you willing to say? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Good try. We're going to see a century maker. Great. 
less than 13 wickets to fall to spin bowling. So this is taking into account what happened in Blacktown. A lot of spinners in the sides with less than 13 wickets. Well, out of both teams? Out of the 40. Out of the 40, less Ava- than 13. Less than th- yeah. Well, I think I'm going to probably go on the field. back foot and probably just punch it to mid-wicket just for the one. Yeah. I think it might they might just get over 13. So you're going to play that one? Yeah, I'm playing it. Well, well I've hit the ball, so I've played it. While playing it, you're saying there are less than 13 wickets going to fall. Oh, no, sorry. There'll be more. So I'm going to leave that one. You're going to leave it. Sorry. That's all right. You've played, <laughs> you've played and missed it. I played you've, and missed you've it. You've had a crack and you missed it. <laughs> all right. Play or leave it. More than seven sixes hit in the entire match. A couple of big hitters in this, uh, in this match. I am going to come on the inside line of it, look to play it, and then just suddenly leave it. So you think there won't be seven or more sixes nope. hit? No. Brunt gets going. Elise Perry. No. Nah. Ropes will be in. Well, is this my game or your? Do you I'm want me to, throw, to flick this there, back over you? I think there will be more than seven. Okay. I, think well, I hope there is. I think it will be entertaining. It would be entertaining, but right. I don't think so. All right. At least, at least four floppy white hats on display. Both sides. I'm sure the Australians will at one point all want to wear their baggy greens, but during the day, the sun will be out. At least Fellaini loves wearing the floppy gold. There are a, a fair number. I'm not going to say how many. There are a fair number of floppy whites on display in Canberra. So do you reckon across the two teams there'll be four or more players wearing those white hats? Yeah, confidently dance down the wicket and yep. punch it straight back over your head. Here's a little twist on that one. Will we see a player bat in a floppy white? Gonna leave that. Bit of Mark War there. No. no not, can't see it happening? No. All right. Two to go. The match to finish. Maybe the only player I think that might do it Maybe Elisa Healy. Really? That'd be good. That'd be a great sight. Yeah. Big fan of the floppy gold hats in the one days. Mm. All right. Uh, the match to finish after dinner. So different intervals. Tea and dinner. After dinner on day four. Bit of a thriller. Right to the end. I'd love to see it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play that. Yep. Uh, I think, but potentially with the amount of rain around, it, it might drag out to then. Um, I was part of a, a test match, uh, the Australian youth side against New Zealand A down in Manuka way back when. This is 98. And uh, we needed to pick up the last wicket in the last hour and, and we got it with, within, I think, last second last over. So even then, even though it was quite boring cricket, but we had like five or six people around the bat. Yeah. Everyone was no, – that's exciting cricket. And we never get to see that in the women's game. So I really hope we get to see something like that. Imagine that. Amanda J. Wellington, bowling big leggies out of the rough. Five people around the bat. Spitting out of the rough. Spitting out of the rough. That's what we want to see. (laughs) Finally, this one directly involves you. Well, maybe it won't. I don't know. More. More than two feuds in the commentary box. So there's... What uh, do you class as a feud? A a storm out. I want to see... Oh, a storm out. (laughs) (laughs) So it's you... Mel Jones, Isagua, and Charlotte Edwards. Two Aussies, two English people. What do you reckon? Can we see? Can we see? Hey, it could get heated in there. No one is ever going to storm out because we are professional at what we do. But you will see plenty of banter. Mm. You will see potentially 
the England ganging up on the Australians and vice versa. And we are playing a round of golf on the Friday morning before Aussies versus England with the four commentators. Okay. So I think it's going to start early, uh, the banter. Um, we've already got a WhatsApp group, so it's already starting now. So Who's, the most, who's the most vocal in the WhatsApp group? Uh, Charlotte Edwards, actually. She's, really? you know, she's giving us all the details of... She was giving us almost ball-by-ball ball coverage of what was going on in the warm-up matches at one stage. So, um, she's not across at all. So, you're going to leave it? Or she's bored, one of the two. So, you're going to leave it? No uh, storm out? No storm out. No, Definitely. No, sorry, no, no storm feuds. out. No dropping the mic and walking I out. I see a bit of fire in the, in the commentary <laughs> box. Sorry. Wrong commentary box. Wrong commentary box. But anyway, regardless, you can listen to that on the live and free stream on cricket.com during the CL Live app. Lisa... We look forward to hearing from you then and we enjoyed hearing you today. No, uh, thank you. No, it was good. <laughs> but I think also for those that do tune in, please tweet us. You know, I think uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the game or if you want to know anything about what's happening or pl individual players. You know, we've got four days of trying to talk about the game and, and I think the great thing is that a lot of past players are going to come down and watch. So, fingers crossed we can get them into the commentary box and it'll be a real education not only for the, the listeners but also and viewers but also for us in the commentary box to see how Test Cricket was played in the 60s and 70s uh, before our time. What hashtag are we going with? Hashtag Ask Lisa. Sure, let's go. Let's start that. <laughs> oh, dear. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks. What's your favourite of your own? What's your favourite shot? Uh, probably the the flick to leg side or a good cover drive, but they're very rare. <laughs> good. Who's the who's the most underrated opponent you've come across? I don't think anyone's really underrated. I mean, everyone you've got to prepare for whoever you're playing, and you can never put down someone, especially if they've got the like the opportunity to get you out. Cool. What about the uh, the player you most enjoy watching? I think Uzi Kawaja when he's when he's on is quite quite nice to watch. He got a hundred yesterday in our JLT Cup match, and it was just some of the shots he hit, especially that that massive six off Starkey was quite quite fun to watch. Certainly was. Uh, if you could be any cricketer for a day, any other cricketer for a day, who would have been why? Um, Steve Smith. Just sometimes when he comes out to bat, he makes it look so easy, and just would love to to see how he plays the game and what he thinks about when he's out there. Would you love to be the captain too? Give yourself a bit of a bowl. Yeah, I'd yeah. give myself a bowl, obviously. <laughs> Good. Okay, what's the um, what's the one piece of unique equipment uh, that you couldn't live without? I would say cricket bat, but I don't tend to use it too much. Mm. So, um, uh, something something no one else has, like a lucky red rag, or a, no, I don't have any. A little bit. Don't have any of those little, lucky superstitions. Probably my bag green. Because um, I forgot in it once in a test match, so I don't want to don't want to do that again. And so I'd make sure it's always with me. You've also missed a couple of buses, haven't you? Um, I don't know. It's a, <laughs> it's an interesting topic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it then. Uh, finally, what's the ultimate after t afternoon tea item? Afternoon tea item. Um, I think maybe just a nice nice couple of uh, chocolate chip cookies with a, a cup of tea or something like that. Are you allowed to have that stuff? Um, occasionally on uh, off days or, or good hard training days.
That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with special guest host Mike Hussey, who will be a regular on the Unplayable podcast throughout the summer. Until then, like, rate, and subscribe to the Unplayable podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and make sure you head to cricket.com.au for all your cricket news, scores, and videos. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.